Want to earn 20 to 25 hours of literacy professional development? Check out a new online course led by host Susan Lambert, Foundations to the Science of Reading. Join fellow educators in this self-paced course designed to equip you with the knowledge and skills to bring evidence-based literacy practices into your classroom. Explore eight modules that will strengthen your understanding of the science of reading and earn a course completion certificate. Find out more information, access a preview, and register at amplify.com slash SORcourse. At a certain point in time, you got to deal with the root cause. Literacy is at the root. And for me, I just got tired of dealing with the edges. This is Susan Lambert, and welcome to Science of Reading, the podcast from Amplify, where the science of reading lives. Today, I've got something very special to share, our first ever episode recorded in front of a live audience. While in New Orleans this past March for the Plain Talk Conference, I had the chance to sit down with one of our all-time favorite guests, Kareem Weaver, co-founder and executive director of the organization Fulcrum. Full and complete reading is a universal mandate. Best of all, Kareem and I got to speak in front of you, our fantastic listeners. We know not everyone could make it to New Orleans, so I'm thrilled to now share this conversation with all of you. A lot has changed since Kareem joined us on season four of the podcast, so we caught up about his key role in the recent Right to Read documentary, his work as the Oakland NAACP's second vice president and chair of its education committee, And we also shared some behind-the-scenes info about this podcast. I really hope you enjoy listening to this conversation from Plain Talk with Fulcrum co-founder and executive director, Kareem Weaver. So before we we officially get started with our live podcast recording, there is a... I guess all of you listen to the podcast, right? Three three years, over three million, we're pushing three and a half million downloads now. Congratulations. That's crazy, isn't it? And maybe people have heard this story, but I'm gonna tell it again because it's hilarious. And I don't know, my Amplify boss isn't here, is she? No, she's not here. So go quick, get in before she's here. Go quick, that's right. But I was, sitting in the chair in the sunroom drinking my coffee one Saturday morning and I'm like listening to a podcast The Good Life Project Mm -hmm. so I mean shout out to The Good Life Project thinking this would be an interesting way to get information to practitioners because they could listen whenever they wanted to in the car maybe not in the shower but you know in the bathroom if you wanted to listen in the bathroom and so I text my friend Greg Dribben where's Greg? stand up and wave Greg hey all right. I'm like, gee, I got an idea. Let's do a podcast. And he's like, it can't be that hard, right? How hard can it be? We'll do it. Who do we need to ask? I'm like, ask? We're not going to ask anybody. We're just going to do it. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. What's wrong with that, right? Cool. Yeah. So we did it. We didn't get in trouble. And here we are. Thanks to all y'all. But mostly thanks to guests, too, that come on and share their wisdom and I'll tell you what, one of the most popular episodes, really? Mr. Cream Weaver, right here. Don't you think? Yeah. 
you're, you're leading the pack because your message is important. Mm. So when we decided we were going to celebrate right here at Plain Talk with everyone, somebody said, who do you think that you would want? Dream guest that you'd want to talk to. And I said, Kareem Weaver. And we said, hey, Kareem, you want to do this? And you said, I don't care. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds about right. I think that's exactly what you yeah. said. So here you all are with Kareem Weaver, and we're really honored to have you here. And what we thought that we would do is before we start the discussion, we're going to play the trailer to an important movie, and then we're going to talk to Kareem a little bit about it. Millions of American kids struggle to read. We should succeed in seeing that every eight-year-old can read independently. When I first started teaching in Oakland, there were only two kids in my class of 35 who could read. Larry ran to the cat. My man, I'm going to say this right now on tape. My man Larry just read his first sentence by himself, and I'm very, very proud of him. We have a lot of people who struggle to read. Why aren't we screaming and yelling about this? In 35 years, we have gone backwards, not forwards. It is a national problem that cuts across demographics, but it's painted as a minority issue. For as long as I can ever remember, I've wanted to be a teacher. This school is the lowest performing in reading in the district. So this is a civil rights issue. We're really trying to figure out how to get Oakland kids to read. Reading is everything. That's the foundation to everything in this life. It has been said that illiteracy is one of the most solvable issues of our time. What letter is it? Why? Yeah. Everybody deserves the right to read. Literacy is for all. We want to make sure that all students have the opportunity to be with a teacher who has learned the science of reading in order to crack the code of reading. question is today, do we have the political will and do we have the moral courage and fortitude to use literacy as a vehicle to include all? This is social justice. How you feel about that when you, you hear that again and again? I don't know how many times you've watched that trailer, but... Um, resolved. I feel resolved. I feel determined. Um, and memories keep flooding back. I mean, it's a film, but you know, Larry was, you know, I love Larry. You know, from cutting this doggone hair in class. Uh, my, my class is like a barbershop. Um, but I was talking with somebody the other day, you know, I had about 12 Harrys, you know what I mean? So um, it, it takes me back and kind of plugs me back in, mm. you know, the purpose, but it steals me, it, it really does. This documentary is sort of built around your story. Um, how, 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 did this, how did this happen? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. They, um, you know, a friend of mine, um, Margaret Goldberg, from the Right to Read Project, I think she was connected to some people and somehow or another they, I don't know. But I do know that they were following me around. They wanted to follow us around, but I wouldn't let them. Because the they're trying to make a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is not a game. Like, this, you know, can we come? Are you business superintendent? Can we? No, you can't come. No, I can't come. Bring the film crew in and visit the superintendent. <laughs> so, 
it took it took a while for me to kind of open up to him and 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 um, I mean, yeah, it took a while, but you know, we got used to him. We got used to him. So you weren't initially you weren't a willing. I had no idea what it was about. I, I know and love Margaret. She's a colleague and a friend. So yeah. she said, "Can you know?" I was like, "Okay, whatever." Same type of answer, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> you know, but I really didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know what the project was about. I wasn't in the film. They just wanted to. I don't know what they were doing. Um, they had cameras. You can follow us around if you want to. That's cool. You want to. You want to talk about reading? We could talk about reading all day long. Mm -hmm. That's what it was for me. Mm -hmm. Somebody else wants to talk about reading. Okay, cool. Um, oh, you're making a movie. Okay. All right, good luck with that. But no, you cannot come to every meeting we go to. Um, so we kind of had an easy piece about that. And it, it grew over time. To, I was more trusting with them and you know, let them kind of see some things. Mm. Um, but yeah, it took a while for me to open up to them. I think there's, isn't there some scenes that you're actually in your own, you let them yeah. in your, through the doors of your yeah, house? Yeah, my wife was not feeling that. <laughs> she was like, she was like, literally, because she's an introvert. She's like, they can go in this room and this room. And that's it. And you know, man, and, and my mom was just as bad. My, they wanted my mother, my mother was like, no, <laughs> no. And her issue was a lot of people make movies about black folks and it's like a caricature. Oh, my yeah. mom was like, no, nah, it's another one of these movies that gonna make us look bad, I, I want nothing to do with it. I was like, mom, how you know it's gonna be like that? She's like, I've been around for a long time. I know how this goes. Mm -hmm. She saw one of the um, screenings, she's like, oh, I wish I had been in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> for real, I was like, see. I'm not messing with you today, Mom. I'm not messing with you Can't today. Can't they splice her in somehow? I don't know. But I think it was good because she held a hard line. And she was like, no, because they kept asking her. She was like, no. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to portray us in a positive way. Yeah. I've, I've seen too many things in my life hearing her talk that where we get, you know, this little, I don't know, this, this silly caricature of, of our lives. And so I think the producers did a good job of actually telling a story in a healthy and constructive way. Yeah, that's amazing. So what brought you to this was, some of it was your work with uh, NAACP in California? Yeah, so I, Tell us a little bit about that. So, I don't know if your guests are familiar with the NAACP, but it's a civil rights organization. It's old and, and a big civil rights organization. A lot of the civil rights we have today, um, the NAACP helped secure those rights. And it's still active. You have a national organization, you have states, state conferences, and then you have branches in most large cities, but a lot of cities throughout the country. And they do a lot of different things, but one of the things they have as a standing committee is education. Mm -hmm. And I've been on an education committee for a few years, um, just as a foot soldier. You know, um, the, the, the vice president, who was also the chair of the committee, she was looking for people. Matter of fact, I remember when I applied to be on the committee, they had a, a vetting process. And it was 10 people in the room, and she said, Kareem, we want to find out if you for real or if you for fake. Ooh. That's what she said, yeah. Wow. They, don't, they don't play. They get down. <laughs> and so I guess she figured I, I was for real, I, I guess. guess. You're for <laughs> so, real. so, you know, she just, you know, because you got to be careful. Different people have different agendas. Right. And we're trying to focus on literacy. We can't be playing around. We can't be playing games. Um, so anyway, um, I worked with the NAACP however I could, working with the school district in Oakland and also West Contra Costa and some other folks, district and charter. Just, just trying to get people to understand what our kids need yeah. and that it is possible. So that's a great platform to use because, or to be part of because NAACP has its own brand. So now the science of reading isn't just a them thing, it becomes a we thing. That's why it's important in my mind to frame it as a civil rights issue. 
Literacy is a civil rights issue. So groups like the ACLU, NAACP, they ought to be involved, right? What else are you going to be doing right now? Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's why I started working with them, and it's, it's, been, it's been good. There have been some times that uh, they've pushed me, you know, in terms of the tone and tenor of what I have to say, and I respect that. You know, I don't want to disrespect the shield of the brand and all that type of stuff. I was on a state conference of the NAACP in California for a while, but I'm happy as could be now to, at, just to stay at the local level and do what I can to fight. I mean, around the country, but locally with the NAACP in, uh, in California, in Oakland. Why literacy? What, what makes what? that a hot Why topic literacy? for you, for you Man. personally? I mean, I know what You want to get into it. You want to get into it. Why yeah. literacy? <laughs> Man, what? Okay. <laughs> you can look at it from every endeavor, every social sector. Literacy is at the core. I have friends who are ministers, and I'm like, you don't want people to read the book that y'all talking about? You're just going to tell them what it says? Like, I remember when that was like the way things went down in this country. It was still like that, even in your church? In the business community, um, same type of thing. You need workers. It, it just, it, it goes into every aspect of our lives, including our peace of mind. Literacy is about peace of mind. You know, I, you know I, in schools, they have a social-emotional curriculum at times, you mm -hmm. know, different, different curriculums, but they try to get people to handle their traumas and their problems and be able to constructively resolve stuff and conflicts and all that. And I'm like, that's all fine and well, but if you can't read, you're getting traumatized every day. At, at a certain point in time, you've got to deal with the root cause. I guess the answer to your question is, literacy is at the root. And for me, I just got tired of dealing with the edges and the fruits of trees. I wanted to get to the root hmm. of things. And to me, literacy is at the root of not just our civil rights, but our access to society. You want to talk about saving democracy? Okay, well, how are they going to read the ballot? How are they going to read the description of what these candidates stand for? Oh, they can't? Oh, so now they're just being told who to vote for. That's why these, these don't let me get started. So, I, we, you know, we. <laughs> I have a cousin who was in prison for over 20 years. We have the same birthday. I love him dearly. He has a book that he wrote. Um, and, you can't think of the title right now, though, can you? Uh, <laughs> it's okay. I can't. I, I will think of it. I apologize to you because if you hear this, Identical Strangers is what it's called, Identical Strangers, Cleveland Bush. And anyway, I, I interviewed him. I was like, man, I want to interview you. Your experience is in South Carolina. He's one of the worst prisons in South Carolina. And he told me, something I'll never forget. He was like, you know, when you're illiterate, it makes the cuffs tighter. Ouch. He said, in many ways, people can talk over your head, it's whether you don't know the rules or the laws or whatever it is, you are at the mercy. You, you end up following other people's agenda. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, we're often misled. I'll never forget when he told me that. Hmm. Uh, matter of fact, I, I, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere, but it is the root of our access to society. You're either on the inside or the outside. You can navigate it, but it's getting harder and harder. When my dad was uh, probably you know, in his 20s, mid-20s or whatever, you can get a job. You can, you can make your way, work at the plant or something, you know what I mean, or, mm -hmm. or, or navigate things. You can raise a family off that salary and all the rest. Man, that job is long gone. Yeah. Nowadays, that kid is on the streets or locked up somewhere depending on what his family has access to, if they can kind of shepherd him or her in some other direction. But that kid today, and so our society is evolving away from illiteracy. It's getting harder. You are an other. 
And that's, that's a tough pill to swallow and just sit back and say, oh, well. Um, and people, unfortunately, are so busy that it, it's almost second age just kind of avert our eyes. And my whole thing is we can't avert our eyes. These are our kids. These are our neighbors. I don't care what color they are. You know, when you're illiterate, it's a problem for me, too. You know, it's one thing when you see my son walking down the street. It's another thing when you see my son who he can't read and he's walking down the street. That's a whole different get down. You know, I might be scared of your child if your child can't read. I don't care what color they are because they might be desperate enough to do something to me or mine. I'm just saying I'm keeping it real with you. Yeah. Um, but if I know he's got a shot or she's got a shot at society, they've been given whatever the opportunities that, that they need to have, they can read, that means they can compete, right? So I'm like, hey, how you doing? I'm going to say, hi, how you doing anyway? But I, my point is, is like, you know, we, we marvel at people's desperation as if we don't know what happened. There's a reason why our, our prisons are filled to the brim. There's a reason why we got people sleeping out on the street in the gutters. There's a reason why. We, there's only so many football games we can watch to divert our attention. At a certain point in time, we have to look at our neighbors and be like, you know what? Am I my brother's keeper or not? Who are we as a people? You know, do we are we connected enough to each other to give a damn about our neighbor? Yeah. Sorry, mom, but that's that's really what it boils down to in, in the essence. Yeah, and that message has been resonating across the country too. You just is it Buffalo that you? Yeah, just I was came in Buffalo, from? New York. Can you tell us about that? What took you there? Yeah, what took me there? So they have an initiative. I love it. WNY Western New York Alliance led by parent volunteers, and now they've started a nonprofit, and they have brought in all different stakeholders, superintendents, BOCES directors, parent groups, dyslexia advocates, politicians, you, you name it, and they're focusing on literacy. And so we've had a couple of events there. I was fortunate enough to speak at one of their things, a conference or something. So they asked me back to speak to three different groups. One was... Um, like the, 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 the who's who type folks, you know, they got titles and all that type of stuff and, and they make policy decisions and all that. So there's a room full of those folks who are, you know, gave the presentation, talk, had a Q&A. The next night it was um, parents, teachers, and principals. Hmm. And I love that, love that. And then the next day it was at a church. I was like, hey, let's go, <laughs> let's do it, you know. So, be, be, but, but you know what, it takes all that. So in New York, they, they brought these folks together so that one, they could hear this message about why literacy is so important. Two, they could hear next steps about what they could do for the policy people to hear, okay, what can I actually do? Because one thing to get all stirred and feel passionate about something, but then what do you do? And it's, it's so far, the train's a little, so far gone at this point, people just don't feel connected to solutions. And in New York, you know, I don't know if y'all have heard about the, uh, the crisis they have with the buses in New York. I, I hadn't heard about this, but they sat me down. It's like, yeah, the problem is not that we don't have enough bus drivers or applicants. We have tons of people who apply for these jobs, but our kids can't get to school because we don't have enough people who can pass the test to become bus drivers. And it's, a, it's like a civil service test. You can't get around it, and it's a union job. So they're like, this, what can we do? So it's like the chickens are coming home to roost at this point hmm. in all these different industries. You know, in our last NDAA, the, uh, like the, the budget that the government uh, proposed, there was a clause while we were out, you know, watching football and the housewives and whatever else we're doing, there was a clause put in there that girls would have to register for selective service. In other words, we don't have enough soldiers 
our boys can't read to pass the doggone test. To, mm -hmm. It's called the AFSAD to get in the military. Yeah. We're going to have to bring our girls in now. Mm -hmm. There was a congressman down in Texas who was like, over oh, my dead body, will you draft my daughter? I was like, right on, my man. <laughs> right on. But, but I mean, that's where we are now. Yeah. And that level of desperation is in every sector. Mm -hmm. In the business community, the only sector that's thriving is the prison industry. They don't, they don't have enough beds. Mm -hmm. They got to outsource it now because business is booming. And the root cause of it is illiteracy. Whether we want to avert our eyes or not, it's there. But I don't think people realize just how serious the situation is and, and realize just what our passivity has wrought. The, the pressure hasn't been coming enough from community. The only reason these institutions can keep going the way they're going is because the community doesn't put the pressure on them. Universities who have method classes uh, and, and, and people go through and learn and get ready to go teach and never haven't learned the science of reading. Yeah. And they steadily casting checks. Tuition payments are good. And, and, and getting money from the federal government in the form of loans to do it, it's a cycle. And then those folks go out unprepared, and then we ask them later on to learn more. Oh, now do this professional development. Oh, and pay for it. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> you know, but, but what about the institution in higher ed that should have, where's the accountability, especially the public ones? Private ones, I guess you could do what you want to as private. But if you're a public university of higher ed, mm -hmm. and you're not preparing teachers to do what they need to do, where's the accountability for that? That's why I'm like, you know what? Hard war, easy peace. As long as you want to fight, it's going down. But the minute you say, we yield, hey, we can be brothers, easy peace. And it, it, to me, this reading movement has to be like that. We, we can get along, easy peace. Like, we can work together for this. But, man, if you're going to be obstinate and our kids are circling the drain, our teachers don't have a, you know, they're making bricks without straw, metaphorically speaking, what are we supposed to do? Pat them on the back, donate money for their endowment, and, 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 and and pay more taxes to go for these schools? I'm like, no, come on, no, heck no, heck no. At some point, they gotta ante up and kick in. It, it can't just be, it can't just be their reputation and their brand and their, all that is built on the backs of our kids. And our kids have to suffer, that's not fair. Why should, why should our kids have to circle the drain but your institution's thriving? How that's supposed to work? Hmm. Everybody got their tenure, the professors this, the provost that, and, and nobody even has to talk about what's going on in the surrounding community where the teachers you're training are going to serve? Nah, 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 nah. So every community has got to wrestle with that. Everybody's got to ante up and kick in. Everybody's got to be accountable. And we have a right to know, if I pay you my tuition money, that's like an agreement. To me, this is, this is how I see it. This is like an agreement. You're preparing me, so I'm giving you the money. But what if you're not preparing me? Do I get a rebate? What, what do I get if you break the deal? With, with all your prestige as an institution. But you chose not to prepare me well. And, and when I applied, you made it sound like, oh, if you come to our university, you know, we, everyone respects the, the, the degree from this. And, okay, so I got a master's in literacy, whatever it is. But I get in there, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, I had a school superintendent tell me, we actually don't mind paying money for professional development to teach teachers how to teach reading. Not a problem. What we don't want to have to do is pay money to unteach the things they learned incorrectly in their graduate Oof. program. Wow. So that's a cost we shouldn't have to bear. That's right. I was like, show you right. You ain't said nothing but a word. So I think that's, that's pressure that groups like the NAACP and the community at large has to put on these institutions. When I asked you that question when we were chatting before, here's what you said. Can we really make the pivots we need to make without holding ourselves accountable? 
Do you think that's true on all levels of the system? Can we make the pivots we need to make without holding ourselves accountable? No. No. There's too much blood in the water. There's too much pain out there. Somebody got to answer for that. Mm. Uh, I mean, I mentioned my cousin. Um, people have kids who have gone through school systems who weren't successful. Now their kid is incarcerated, a family broken, or they can't get a job or whatever it is, and they're supposed to just let that go? Mm. Right? Some, so, but what does accountability look like? First of all, accountability starts at the top, not the bottom. And, and, and that's what, our kids are accountable, okay? It is, a, it is a ruthless and unforgiving world when you don't learn how to read. Our teachers are held accountable because they're the point of service. Mm -hmm. And so people say, oh, you messed that up. You did the test scores and this and that and the other. So that's just human nature. But what about the superintendent? What about the chief academic officer? What about the school board president? What about the governor? What about the mayor? What about all these people who cashed checks that are plenty big? Where's the accountability? And, and I think sometimes people are so insecure about the implications for that on their career and their personal brand that they don't realize, yes, there's some of us who will throw tomatoes, yes. Like, I'm not gonna lie, there's some people that's so mad and so hurt that they just, that you're gonna get cussed out by some people, that's true. However, most people just want honest brokers in the chair. They just want you to raise your hand and say, man, we blew it, we did the best we could, we thought we were doing the best we could at the time, and because we love your child. Come to find out, research now says this, we're gonna make this pivot. And, and, it's going to take a season of learning, we invite you to learn with us so that we can undo some of this damage and go towards a, a, a better place, a healthier place. Most people are like, okay, cool. But what you can't do is, you can't come in there, one year you've been talking about, you know, whatever balanced literacy or whole language curriculum, whatever it is you've been pushing for the last five years, and then you went to go see the movie, right? Yeah. Or, you, or, you, or you heard an article, or read an article, and now all of a sudden you got a new mandate for everybody to do. I need you, Mr. Go Mr. Teacher, I need you, Ms. Teacher, to go take this training for 15 hours during your summer break, unpaid, and we got a new curriculum that you gotta learn. Man, that dog won't hunt. You're gonna have to say, there has to be some accountability at a human level for people to open up and be willing to believe enough, even to just suspend belief to try something new, even if out of curiosity. Mm -hmm. But people have to be accountable. And there has never been an urban school district who has let their superintendent go because of low academic achievement. In urban school, it's always, look, it's the scandal, there's some money that, you know, some, somebody did something they shouldn't have done, the board and the superintendent don't get along. Mm -hmm. It's all kind of stuff that goes on while people get let go early out their contract and they still get paid, but whatever. But the kid's just not reading, you're gonna have to go. When, when, where's that board meeting, where's that, where's that? You don't hear about that. Oh, somebody cheated on some test scores or whatever. What about, you know what, you've been here for three years and that's why I urge all school boards, you should have literacy objectives in your superintendent's evaluation plan. Mm. What you measure gets done. And the board only has one employee that's a superintendent, everybody else is a designee. If you don't have literacy goals in the superintendent's work plan, man, y'all playing. Mm. Y'all playing, and you're hoping that things work out. Hope is not a strategy. It's great to have hope, but that can't be the strategy for our kids and our systems that mm -hmm. serve them.
Have you ever, so in your work with folks, mm -hmm. have you ever encountered a superintendent or a, a, somebody in leadership that's actually said, oof, we did it wrong. We need to fix this and make it right, we're sorry. In terms of a mea culpa, a we blew it? Yeah. Nah, that's just not, the, that's not the culture mm -hmm. for a super. First of all, superintendents change hands too much. They don't stay that long. Yeah. It's like, it used to be two and a half years, I think now it's up to three and a half year, tenure, you know, they just, you know, so they're like, oh, the last person blew it. They had nothing to do with me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Hire me, I'm going to fix all your problems, is usually what they say. But no, I haven't really heard that because they haven't had to. Because we haven't asked for accountability. Right. And so if, we're not, if we don't demand it, then they, they don't have to. Hmm. So you, said, you mentioned something about culture. It's, you've been thinking about culture a little bit. Or at least you told me you've been thinking about culture a little bit. <laughs> Related to literacy? Related to literacy and change. Yeah. You know, uh, change management is a big deal. Yeah. You can get all the, you can have a great curriculum, a great professional development. You can have um, all the pieces and all the technical things, all the boxes are checked. Yeah. And the initiative still doesn't work. It doesn't. It's about culture. Uh, the research shows, if you look at John Hattie's Visible Learning, it talks about collective teacher efficacy. Love that. The belief that, you know, we are responsible mm -hmm. for student learning, that you're mm -hmm. going to get a year's growth and a year's time. But, but yes, home matters, but we are the ultimate yeah. factor whether yeah. or not this kid learns or not. That, that's partly culture. Yeah. So for school leaders, like you can, part of that is your personality, how grounded you are as an individual, your ability to um, perceive and engage honestly, but that, that's, a, that's a, our humanity. But culture is a big piece of it. I, look, culture beats programming the day of the week. Culture eats program for lunch. You gotta have your culture right for, for, for a school building, or a principal or an assistant principal or coach, whatever it is, like, that's the main thing. Because you have to deal with the cynicism, all the different initiatives that have come and gone. Everybody talking the same game. You know, we got the new thing now. Yeah. We got the, and then, oh, I've seen, here's the pendulum. Like the, you know, you gotta deal with that. Yeah. You have to be able to, whether it's from a technical standpoint, I remember telling teachers when I became a principal, I was like, listen, if you want to save your pension, we're going to have to fix this ship. I'm like, oh, well, you should have said that. The last principal should have said that. You know, I had a bunch of veterans, they're close to retirement, they're like, what? I'm like, oh, yeah, you don't fix this, we're not going to have enough money in the system to pay you. Oh, or not for very long. Like, it just, you have to be able to, and so here's the other thing. Leaders have to be what people need them to be. It's not enough to just have um, this umbrage, this, this, this feeling of, of, of moral outrage, and then you feel like that justifies the way you do things. Well, I need to make them do it right now. I don't have to go through this plan. I don't have to get there involved. This is the right thing to do, and I know the reading is right, and so they just got to do it. That's what we, not in this season. Maybe there's a season for that. It's not that season. This is the season of how are you going to get people to grow? How are you going to get people to be vulnerable? How are you going to get them to open up? How are you going to get them past their cynicism and their doubt and their history and their own personal story that has to be considered? If you can't do that, maybe this is not the right building for you in this season. That's the call for leadership. And that's, that's a cultural component that I'm not even sure if you can go to school for that. I'm sure there's, you know, I'm sure. We, but some of that is just who we are as people. Mm -hmm. And race is a big part, too. Race, class, gender. Um, you know, 
Are you okay holding people the way they need to be held when they don't look like you? Not the same gender? You might have some feelings about that. You know, as a black man, I'm in schools and I'm like, I gotta tell all these white, I gotta make these white people feel good about teaching reading? Yeah, that's your job. You mean it's a school full of women, I'm the only guy here, and I gotta, well, I gotta yeah, that's your job. You mean, I've been teaching for so and so many years and this is a brand new teacher fresh out the box, they should be listening to me anyway. No, guess what, that's your job. If you don't wanna do the job, then get a different job. But right now, in this season, you gotta hold people to get them from point A to point B for kids' sake. If you can't do that, it's not your season. I mean, you know, I get fired up about that, but that's just the reality. And people don't tell leaders the truth about that. They feel like it's, it's your world. You know, it's kind of like, um, so my background is actually in clinical community psychology before I switched to education. I did not know that. Yeah, uh, University of South Carolina. So the psychological underpinnings of child abuse is that when adults think that children are there to meet their needs, mm -hmm. instead of them being there to meet the child's need. Mm -hmm. It's the same dynamic at play for leadership, especially in schools. We often think the teachers are here, and so they're going, okay, so now we get to run my program, my agenda. Now I'm in charge, right? Yeah. Now I'm an evaluator. Yeah. Okay, so you think they're here to meet your prerogative when actually you're here to help them get from point A to point B. It's a mindset shift yeah. towards a goal that whatever the superintendent has in, in part, everybody's got a good goal, everybody's got a good vision statement. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> everybody's got a bumper sticker. If, if only diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, was my next door neighbor. <laughs> Everybody seems to know him, <laughs> right? In your own parking space, but in, but in the real world, um, people often get so caught up in their own feelings and their own agenda and what they can't wait to do and they forget about the people they're supposed to be. Le leadership starts with service. If you, if you, don't, if you don't get that, it's not, it's not a, um, like a placard or a nameplate above the door, you know, principal's office, that, that, that <laughs> there are some compliance-driven folks who respect that sign, <laughs> no, but no. leadership People grant you certain permissions and certain respect. And that has to do with culture, that has to do with how you carry yourself, it has to do with your priorities and your ability to serve authentically. That's, that's the season we're in right now. That's what we need from school principals, assistant principals, coaches, instruction leads, all those folks. We need them to be servant leaders right now. How does expectations fit into that story? Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, the folks out here, you, you can, look, expectations, you know, George Bush, um, not the elder Bush, the younger Bush, he went before the NAACP when he was running for president. He used to be governor of Texas. He was running for president. He went before the NAACP because everybody likes to go to the NAACP when they want to get elected. That's a whole other story. <laughs> However, he said, you know, we have to be concerned about and this is his phrase, the soft bigotry of low expectations. Mm. Mm. Hello, somebody. We, 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 we dress it up um, in different ways, and we make ourselves okay with it. But he called it the soft bigotry. I would, I have, as an adult, now that I've seen the implications of it, of low expectations, I would say there's nothing soft about it at all. 
It's just the palatable version of it. Every generation has that. I remember being a young kid. I've always been a history buff. My dad was a history buff. I think he had dyslexia too, but he was a history buff. And um, he used to get these time life books. And I'll never forget seeing pictures of lynchings. And you would see people smiling, uh, 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 little kids smiling, just laughing, and, 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 and people with their Sunday best clothes on, and somebody's burnt at the stake or hanging in the back. I'm like, what in the world? How, how did people fix their mind to allow themselves to just go with the flow? Mm-hmm. That's why I went into clinical community psychology. Like, what is that collective ennui? What is, what is, what is, what, what, what? And what I realize is, you know, it's kind of like humidity. You don't really realize it till you change from one place to the next. Mm-hmm. But when you're in it, you can't tell. And culturally, we just get used to certain things. Yeah. It's what everybody else is doing. It's what the teacher down the hall is doing, the grade level chair, the principal, the superintendent, the school board, the publisher, everybody. Everybody's talking the same tune. How are you? So the real power is an ability to perceive your inner humanity, to perceive, wait a second, I'm not going to forget who I am. At my core, I believe in children. We have what percent of kids reading proficiently? Wait a second, my values say this. The reality is this. Either I got to reassess my values or there's another explanation. And unfortunately, Many of us have divested ourselves from our own values to accommodate the narratives and lies we've been told to calm the dissonance. Mm. My job is to plug people back into their, their best selves. Everybody's vulnerable to their best self. Everybody is. And say, wait a second, you started this journey how? That's what I did with my teachers. I mean, it was a turnaround type of situation. Like, who? You remember when you first started this journey? What did you want to do? What did you want to get done? Is it too much now? Are we giving up officially? Let's just name it. If we don't give up, let's give up. Right. Like, like right. if, is that what we're doing? And if it is, let's name it. Let's be honest about this thing. Right. If you still believe those values, then we, we got to get to work. We got a lot of work to do. We got to figure some things out, and I'm here to help you and facilitate that. But if we're going to let it go, then let's just name it. If we're saying there are a bunch of ne'er do wells, the mother's this, the father that, the, the money is this way, the trauma in the community. Da, da, da. If, if that's what it is, then let's just be honest enough with ourselves to say we've outgrown our values. And, you know, especially more seasoned educators, when you name it, when you're honest about it, they're like, why did you have to bring that up? <laughs> I was cool just kind of... <laughs> You know, I'm only four years from retirement, man. Just be cool. And that's the deal we make. Because I used to be a boxer. We used to talk about the silent deal. I don't know if you're... So the silent deal is, listen, it's hard to throw punches for a long time and not get tired. There comes a point where your whole body is hurt. It's, it's hard to even lift your hands up. But I'm tired, and I know you're tired. So we're going to make a deal without even talking. I'm going to look at you. You're going to look at... No, we both want to win, but look, man, you know, we got, let's get through this together. So what we do is we clinch. We just hold on a little bit too long. And we make the referee come break us up. And then we throw a couple bunches, then we clinch again. That's the silent deal we make. Many of us in education have made silent deals with our values. Mm-hmm. We just gonna get through this. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. You tired. 
I'm cynical. They're not paying me that much anyway. At a certain point in time, you know, let's just get through this together. But all it takes is somebody who doesn't take the deal. And you get knocked out. You get knocked out. But in education, in education, when a colleague or a parent or a, a principal or somebody knocks on those values and say, hey, what about this? Remember this? Are you still that person? It does something to you. Every educator, it, if it's in you, it's in you. So that's why I don't give up on people who are a little jaded and a little cynical. You just have to call them to their best self and say, hey, wait a second. I thought, how, when you started this, what did you want to get done? When you first started off, before the this and before the strike and before the this and then what were you trying to do? So is that still, do you, it, what if I told you there was a way you could still do that? I don't want to give you false hope. Let's look at this podcast, Extraordinary Districts doing our, uh, Ordinary Districts doing Extraordinary Things. Let's, let's chart out what they did. Let's chart out the results. Let's look at this district here, this district there in Kentucky. Oh, no, only the, the poorest kids or the marginalized kids or the second language learners or whatever the, whatever the issue. Let's look at those kids and see how they're doing. So now what do you do with that? So as an educator, you're like, oh, snap. <laughs> Man. It, it, I've seen it. It does something to people. It kind of plugs them back in. It's scary. Yeah. To hope again is scary because there's risk with that. I've got to spend time, professional development, and I've got to learn a new curriculum. I'm like, oh, my God again, but the idea that there is a possible way to be back in touch with my best self, for most teachers, that's, a, that's something that they jump at the opportunity to do. So we were talking before we turned the mics on, and I said, are you tired of traveling? He <laughs> said, you know, I used to travel, and the thing that I did before, and it was cool at first, and, you know, mm-hmm. hotels were good, bad, yeah. fun. Yeah. Got sick of it, mm-hmm. tired of it. You're traveling now like crazy. Yeah. What's different? Um, first of all, I'm mad at you because I, we wasn't on tape when I was talking to you. You didn't bother <laughs> up doing the podcast. But all right, okay, we go there then. Martin can you, cut Susan. it out. I, it's, all, it's all good. I'm messing with you. Uh, the difference is this is the main thing. I found myself traveling a lot for things that, does it really matter if I go to this event or not? It's a conference for a week. Ooh, it's a nice hotel. Wonderful. I'm doing, okay, does it really matter? If I didn't go, would it make any difference at all? You know, come on, man. I'm, you know, once you hit a certain age, you only have so much time. You ain't trying to waste your time. You know, but now we're talking about literacy. So when I go to a church in Buffalo, New York, and I see people there, you know, in the cold, it's snow all over the place, and they're out there to talk about reading and literacy, and, and there's a superintendent there and a chief academic officer there and some parents there and the choir rehearsal's coming after this, and so they're up there with their robes on, and they're up there, and they're asking questions, and the little baby's running around. Man, hey, sign me up for that. Mm. You know what I mean? When I'm talking to a public radio station, I know that, you know, those of us who still listen to public radio, like, <laughs> we actually care about the issues that come up. So, oh, yeah, I, okay, I'll do that, because that's going to reach some folks, and those folks are going to reach some kids. Hey, but I'm not trying to travel, you know, this is not a contest of who could log the most frequent flyer miles. I'm, I'm, uh, nah, man, nah, uh-uh. But if it's, something, if it's something to move the ball forward, and I know that, I know that I trust educators. I actually, I actually believe in people. I believe in our potential to solve big problems mm. if we're honest with each other. And if we ask the right questions and push the right way. So it's, I, I, I'm willing to travel now because I'm hopeful and encouraged and 
I believe I'm traveling for the right reasons. I still don't like traveling, <laughs> especially my daughter's 18. She's a senior in high school. Yeah. This is the last go around for me. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple of the kids go through and everything. But this is it. So I'm not trying to miss this time. Yeah. You know, she got a game in two days. I'm going to be there. Yeah, you are. You know, but. Um, With your straw hat on and everything. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Right? That's my home run hat. I wear that straw hat. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and my baby can swing it, you know. <laughs> you know but um, I'm not trying to travel for things that don't matter. In life, you know, I, that's what I talk about in the movie. I'm, I'm too old to be doing things that don't matter. Yeah. And I'm an African-American male. Our life expectancy is shorter. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it just is what it is. My brother was just diagnosed with cancer a little while ago. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, it's, you know, I think he's going to be all right. He thinks he's going to be all right. He told me I can mention it, so it's all good. But, uh, but like, life happens. The question is, what do you do with the time you have? I understand you don't want to get up and learn this new thing again. But what's the alternative? To spiral with stuff that doesn't work and squander a little bit of time we do have left? I'd rather die doing the right thing yeah. and spend my time on that than you know, revolve in circles doing the wrong thing. That's not doing me any good. I, it's a hard to look my kids in the face acting like that. Plus, I'm a descendant of enslaved persons. My grandmother's grandmother um, was a teacher. I've only told this to one other white person. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for trusting yeah, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and a whole bunch of <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Sally Stanton. Uh, uh, um, she had a secret. She taught enslaved folks. She was enslaved herself. And her secret was that she can read. Wow. And so she ta- I maintain the greatest generation of educators this country has ever known were those folks, antebellum, who risked everything over a word yeah. to teach people who, who were, were considered to be unteachable traumatized. I don't want to go, I don't want to call a role, but you know, uh, they're unteachable. Matter of fact, they're subhuman. They don't even deserve it. They can't, they can't, they, they can't even, they can't do it. So these folks risk their lives to make it so. I, I just, I, you know, one of my ancestors was one of them people in the, in the cane breaks, in the brush arbors. Now it wasn't for the uh, early retirement, it wasn't for the salary, it wasn't for you know, trying to get the kids college and career ready. It was something about the humanity of people that they were going after. Mm-hmm. I'm going to teach you to read. You may never use this, but I understand that you as a human being deserve this. You deserve this. The right to read is a human right. And they proved it. Um, it cost her husband his life when, they, when she was found out what she was doing. It didn't cost her her life because she was still of childbearing age. But it cost those close to you. And I, mm-hmm. I mention that because sometimes, sometimes when we go on these journeys, we aren't necessarily the ones that pay the price. Our loved ones pay the price yeah. alongside of us, our spouses, our kids. You know, I, I don't want to get into my story too much, but you know, well, why not? I'm on the podcast. So, I, I, you know, I, I, was, I was married uh, before, and uh, you, you see the young man 
Larry, who's in the movie. Yeah. I was married when Larry was, was, was a student of mine in fifth grade. And my oldest daughter would run around the classroom and everything. And, um, but the price that was paid wasn't, it was for me, but it was also for my ex-wife. You're gone all the time. You're studying all the time. You're making lessons all the time. I hear people talking about, oh, let teachers build their own curriculum. Do you realize, when you realize the, le do you realize, stop playing. I don't know what world you live in, but, but, but there are some schools where, where, where you don't have but a few kids who know how to read and the level of nuance and intentionality that it takes to, to come up with the lessons for the second language learners and the kids who got this going on and that going on and, and, and some have dyslexia and, and you got all kind of stuff going on. And, and now you want me to build that too? And you only gonna pay me this? Listen, listen, and so, you know, I mention that because the people in the sidecar are families. They deserve, um, they deserve us too. Yeah. And so when I was at New Leaders as, a, as the head of, uh, I was the executive director, I would tell our trainees, I was like, because they were going to be principals. I don't want you to pay the same price I did. So I would recommend this. Um, I learned from that first situation that you got to put up guardrails. It's like when a new bowler, you got to put the things up. I was like, so every, so let's say uh, my, my son's birthday is the 30th. Every 30th was Daddy's Sunday. Every th I'm not taking no meetings on that day after work. I'm not, it's me and him. Whether we go to dinner, whether we go to a movie, whatever, every 30th, every 30th. Sorry, son, February don't have a 30th, sorry. But, <laughs> you know, but, for my, but for my youngest daughter, the 18th, every 18th, it's me and you, it's daddy-daughter day. I have to protect them from the realities of, of the commission that I have. Because I understand the cost. So, so we have to be diligent, but also protect us. And that's really the role of a principal, too. So especially when you have veteran staff who've lived a little bit and they got things going on, like you got to tell them, listen, I got you. It's okay for you to go all in. I've been that teacher where the principal's like, woo, he's going all in, great. Here's another one. You know, no, 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 I got you. You're a human being. I'm not going to let, I'm, I want your marriage to be successful. I want you to be present in your kid's life. Matter of fact, I'm going to send you home when it's time for you to go home. It's, that's part of my job. It may not be in a job description, but if I don't care for you in that way, eventually it's, it's no deal. And your staff knows whether or not you, can, you, you can't jive them for that. You, you can't fake that. They know when you care about them and theirs. Mm. You know, I had, a, I had one teacher who had some family stuff going on at home. We had some tough conversations now. I'm going to need you to show up and be prepared. I, when it's prep time, I need you to prep. But I also need you to prep for all these other things. And at the same time, man, you know what? It's the next two days, I got you. Hmm. I mean, stay home with your wife, man. You ain't got to say, I got you. But I like being in the classroom anyway. So. <laughs> but uh, just, just go home, man. Hmm. Be with your lady. I got this. And, and, and here's a couple articles I want you to read, you know, so officially you you did your duty. <laughs> Just do it at home and da 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 da. We gotta talk about it afterwards? No, we gotta talk. I trust you. Go ahead on. Right? You have to figure out how to help your people get where they have to go and be honest about the price that's being extracted from them. We all have rights, but we also have duties.
And you have to be mindful of both and, and, and treat people the way they, they need to be treated. Now, there's sometimes where it's just not going to work. It's not your season. I understand this is what's going on. Like, I hear you. This is a high-need school. Man, this may not be the place for you. Maybe we can put you in a different role, maybe teach you on special assignment, da da da. But I, but I need, I'm the site leader. I have a duty to these kids in the community. Like, I can't just hide you on staff. You know, like, these resources are tight. So some, you gotta have that conversation too. Yeah. But everybody has to be upfront about where they are and honest um, of, what, of what they need to get the job done, mm. is, is what I'd say. Well, this is definitely your season. <laughs> to be making a change in a really important area. And I think I can speak for all these people and all the people that are going to be listening to this after the podcast, how much we appreciate the work that you're doing. Was it you who was telling me, are you going to sing? I, I said, can was you sing? Was that you? I said, can you sing you, and dance? Uh, yeah, and you said, and I was I like, I'm not, I'm dancing. not dancing with I'm nobody. Not dancing. Can you sing? And I'm not singing. But not, <laughs> you're not singing? Listen. I love you. I love you too. I love you. But there is an old song. It's not even that old. It's a song. For, you ever heard this group called The Winings? Yeah. So, I mean, anybody ever heard of Winings? Yeah. yeah. BBCC and all them yeah, people. Yeah. Anyway, Daisy uh, had this uh, song called um, It's Time. It's time. Time to make a change. We are as people who can do it. Just what is the world coming to? Looks like everyone is running from the truth. We got to stand up and find, walk into the line. We're as people, we can do it if we try. Anyway, it goes on. It's our season. It's time to make a change. It's nobody that's going to come and say, I got this for you. You don't have to do it. No. It's time to make the change. We're the people who can do it. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's easy. Lord knows that it's not easy for the custodian. It's not easy for the crossing guard. It's bullets flying around schools nowadays, real talk. It's not easy for the cafeteria people. It's not easy for the parent whose child has dyslexia. It's not easy for the parent whose child is a different ethnic group than the teacher so that the alarm bells don't go off right away, so you gotta monitor the, the expectations. It's not easy for the principal who's risking their marriage over this stuff. It's not easy for the chief academic officer whose reputation is on the line and their brand is at, is, and their credibility is at stake, and they just have a doctor in front of them. It's not easy for the board member who got elected, has to turn back to their constituents, and says, I don't know what's going on. It's not easy for anybody, but that's also very hopeful to me. When we're all in this state, we actually have a chance to be real with each other and be like, I'm trying to figure it out too. As long as you don't try to big time me and act like you got it all together. When we, 20% of our kids are reading and you trying to, come on now. As long as we're humble and real from whatever our role is, the question is, and I know we're gonna shut it off, but the question is, do we have it in us anymore to do big things together? Do we? That's an honest to God question. We're so divided. I can tell you, you tell me what channel you watch. I could tell you a whole bunch about you and what you believe. Tell me what, tell me what radio, tell me what cable TV channel you watch. And I, I know most of you'll get down. Hmm. I know what's going to tick you off. I know what's going to make you, you know, get all riled up and stirred. Like, we're so split now. Yeah. Do we have, you don't go to the moon like that. You don't solve big challenges. Like, the reason why Social Security is still on the table now 
they can't get rid of Social Security, it's because everybody gets it. Everybody's involved. My grandma, rest in peace. Your grandparents, may they rest in peace. It, it impacts everybody. When it's an everybody thing, things tend to stick. This has to be an everybody thing or it's not going to stick. But I, I, it can happen, but the bugaboo, the thing that will undermine it is our inability to love our neighbor, to work together. And we just get split off whatever tribal designations we have and, and that just everything falls apart. Since we don't like each other anyway half the time, all we need is a little bit of a crack and it just falls apart, you know. For sure. Yeah, anyway. We could talk for much longer. We could. It's yeah. all good. It's all good. It's all good. Thanks for saying yes. Anytime. What, what do you think? Thanks for saying yes. You know, it's actually, it's actually very encouraging. You know, when we're at the Plain Talk conference, with people, but people actually care about literacy. They actually care. Sometimes you wonder, does anybody care about this? You know, especially when you're a young person, does anybody see me struggling? Yeah. Does anybody care about this? But it is heartening to see and hear and talk to people. They, not just in a performative way. They actually care about it beyond a bumper sticker. <laughs> Right, they actually yeah. do care. That is, yeah. that is encouraging to me as a, as a citizen uh, that we have a fighting chance to solve this thing. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Kareem Weaver, co-founder and executive director of Fulcrum. Full and complete reading is a universal mandate. We'll have links to more about Fulcrum and Kareem's work in the show notes. And thanks to the Center for Literacy and Learning for putting on another fantastic edition of Plain Talk About Literacy and Learning. Thanks to you all who came and joined us for the live taping. Science of Reading, the podcast is brought to you by Amplify. For more information on how Amplify leverages the science of reading, go to amplify.com ckla. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Science of Reading the Podcast wherever you listen. We'd also be grateful if you rated us and left us a review. Next time on the show, we're bringing you an important conversation with Zaretta Hammond, author of Culturally Responsive Teaching and the Brain. The conversation is all about the importance of both justice and joy. They have to be braided together just like Scarborough's reading rope is braided together. That's next time on Science of Reading, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.